Good morning. Welcome to Mission View. My name is Matt. I'm the lead pastor here. If this is your first time here, welcome. So glad you came to join us for worship. Bye, kids. It was good worshiping with you. Yeah. Well, um, we are in the middle of a sermon series called Finishing Strong. We've been looking at the life of Christ. It's been amazing. We've, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but we've been actually working our way through the book of Mark for almost a year now, probably a little bit over a year. We've taken different breaks uh, from the book of Mark. Uh, during the summertime, we've done some topical studies on different things. Um, at Christmas, we've done some other topical studies. But over the last year, we've been working our way verse by verse through the book of Mark. And seeing the life of Christ, him calling the disciples, all of the miracles which the gospel of Mark really focus on, the power of God in the person of Jesus Christ has been amazing. And we've seen the challenges that Jesus had with the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodians coming up against him, challenging him trying to get him tripped up in his words to say something heretical. They've tried to do so many things to get rid of Jesus. You know, it's just been an amazing thing to see Jesus uh, uh, really come back at those religious leaders with amazing wisdom and truth. Today, um, we're going to see um, an amazing story where the Sadducees come again to Jesus and uh, try to really make a mockery of his beliefs in what actually the Bible teaches. We're going to be in Mark chapter 12, verses 18 through 27. Go ahead and turn your Bibles there. All right, while you're turning there, how about those Bengals? Oh, wait, 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 sorry, sorry, we're close to Cleveland now. As a Cincinnati boy, my dad had Bengals tickets, season tickets. So man, this is a good year for us Bengals, you know, as we, we're going on. But um, sorry, sorry about those Browns. Yeah. Maybe one day, maybe one day. Why don't, we, why don't we pray for the Bengals? I mean, just pray uh, before we jump into God's word today. And I will not pray for the Bengals. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. And we are so grateful for the opportunity and the freedom to gather together in public, uh, in this, this place, um, in our community, and open your word, proclaim the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ for your glory and for your kingdom and for our good. Uh, We do not want to take this for granted. We submit to the authority of your word right now, Father. We pray that you would change our hearts and change our minds on the things that need to be changed, that you would solidify our hearts and our minds on the things that need to be solidified. God, we give you all glory, honor, and praise. And we just say right now, without the power of your Spirit to bring life to these words, uh, this would be meaningless. So we pray that your Holy Spirit would do what only your Spirit can do. Enlighten us, God. Change us, and we thank you for it. God, I pray that you would give me the words to share. Uh, Use me uh, how you see fit. Um, I submit to you, Father. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. In Mark 12... It says, and Sadducees came to him. We talked last week about the Sadducees and the Herodians and how similar they were. Actually, it was a couple weeks ago. We may have talked about it a little bit last week as well. But the difference between the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Herodians, the Sadducees and the Herodians are very similar. They they shared almost exact the same theological doctrinal beliefs, uh, but the Herodians were more of a political group, a political activist group that really submitted to the authorities, the governing authorities, and recognized those things. The Sadducees believed the same things doctrinally, 
but really focused more on doctrine, really focused more on the religious aspect of things. So here we have the Sadducees coming to Jesus, and obviously uh, they do not like Jesus. They are trying to trip him up once again with another story. And as we're reading through this, I really want you to pick up on the sarcasm in these questions that the Sadducees are bringing. Our text today, the heart of our text, is about eternity. It is about heaven. It is about the plan that God has for redeeming his people to himself. And the Sadducees did not believe in eternal life. And this is what this question is all about. Now, there's so many different things. As Jesus answers this question to the Sadducees, there's so many different implications that really hit us today. And I'm excited to jump into those things. But let's not forget the point in, of this text today. This is about eternal life. This is about heaven, resurrection from the dead, the promise that we have from God in Jesus Christ. How many people here are excited that we are going to be raised from the dead? Is that good news or what? That we, we are going to see Jesus face to face, that we are going to be in the presence of God for all eternity. This is one of those foundational beliefs. This is a spine issue. The resurrection is a spine issue. We talk about spine issues and rib issues here. Rib issues are those mysteries in the scripture, mysteries that, that God shares with us, but we're just like, wow, I can't wrap my puny brain around that. It's those kinds of things that have been debated by Christian godly men that love Jesus for century upon century. And it's, it's things that we can talk about and debate, but we'll um, know for sure when we see Jesus face to face. It's things that we can disagree on as brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, and it's not going to uh, determine whether we go to heaven or not. It's things that we can talk about. These, these spine issues we hold with a closed fist. We don't debate them. And eternal life, resurrection of the dead, is one of those spine issues. So here we are. The Sadducees come to him who say that there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question saying, Teacher, Moses writes, now let's stop there too. Here it starts out with the sarcasm already. I, I hope I, we got to pick up on this. This uh, word that they're using here, teacher, is a word of admiration. It's, it is obviously just like last week. They're playing to a crowd. They're, they're saying things they don't believe. They believe he's a false teacher, a heretic. They just want him to, get, to mess up and say something wrong. But here they call him this word of admiration, teacher. And um, it is not true. That is, that is a falsehood coming from their mouths. It's really gross. Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves his wife, but leaves no child, that man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. This is true. This was in the law of Moses. This is something that God had given down to the people that um, back in this time uh, for uh, a wife not to bear a son would be, would be horrible for the family. And so to care for uh, this wife who had lost her husband, um, the brother would then um, bring her on as his wife and hopefully she would be able to bear a son. And this was God's law for them. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife and when he died, left no offspring. The second took her and died, leaving no offspring. The third likewise and the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. Now, this is just, I'm just going to say it, a ridiculous story. 
right? I mean, you can hear, this is, this is sarcasm at its worst. They are, they are actually making fun of Jesus' teaching about the resurrection. That's what this is. Seven brothers, give me a break. You know, they could have stopped at two, or they could have stopped at three, but they didn't. They're poking fun. They're making a jab, and this is not something you do to the creator of the universe. Amen? That's, that's not how you approach God, by poking sticks and making fun. He says, in the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as wife. Jesus said to them, is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. Underline that, circle that, highlight that, put a star beside it. This is a powerful statement about the power of God coming from God himself. Two things that we're going to really dive deep into that Jesus is saying, here's why you're wrong. Here's why your doctrine is wrong. Here's why your theology is wrong. Here's why your beliefs are wrong. It's because you don't know God's word and you don't know the power of God. This is, this is a huge statement for us as we long to deepen our theology. And a lot of you are sitting out there going, well, Matt, I'm not a theologian. That's for you pastors and teachers and everything else. And I just have some real truth to share with you. All of us are theologians. The real question is, what kind of theologian are you? Because all of us are wanting to grow in our knowledge of God. All of us want to know God more. Amen? We want to know God more. That is theology. Wanting to know God more. Growing in our understanding of who he is, what he's done, and what he's going to do. This is theology. We are all theologians. And we should all spend some time on it. That's what we need to do. Where was I? I just jumped into preaching right there real quick. Is this not the reason you're wrong? Because you know neither the scripture nor the power of God. Hopefully you've underlined that. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. This is where we get that picture of the little cherubim with the harp sitting on the cloud. Have you guys ever seen that? When we die, we're just going to be shrunk down into this little baby cherubim that has this little miniature harp, and we just sit on clouds 24-7 singing songs and playing the harp, right? No, that is not what heaven looks like. But there's, in this, this answer, I mean, there's, there's a lot of things that were said that might have perked your ears just a little bit, right? We're not going to be given in marriage. That, that's, a, that's a big one. What does that mean, right? We're going to be like the angels. What does that mean? We're going to jump into that. Verse 26. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. Jesus uses the book of Moses. He uses the Pentateuch to actually rebuke them. See, the Sadducees only believed the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, just as Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, were the, the, the Bible. That's all they had. And Jesus uses their own Bible to rebuke them and show them the truth, that there is eternal life. All right, let's jump into this. This is really good stuff. The first fill-in in your notes is this, is that we need to know the scriptures. 
We need to get our heads into this book. Now, I wanted to share with you here at Mission View Church, we hold the word of God highly. I wanted to share with you what our website, what our statement of beliefs says about the Bible. The Bible, consisting of the 66 books of the Old and New Testaments, is the inspired word of God and every part of it is fully and equally inspired, not just the red letters, but every single word, Genesis to Revelation. Different men utilizing their own styles and personalities under the guidance of the Holy Spirit recorded God's very words without error in the original writings. We are therefore committed to the Bible as the final authority for the Christian faith and standard for all of life. That's what we believe about the Bible. I want to share with you my story about God's word and my story about coming to Christ. When I was challenged with the person of Jesus Christ, and I, just so you know, I grew up in church going to Sunday school, uh, Church of Christ Sunday school. I had the felt board on Sunday morning in Sunday school. I loved it. She, we had a Sunday school teacher that, Stephanie, I know I'm old. I know we don't do felt boards anymore. She's shaking her head. No, we don't do felt boards anymore. It's probably like PowerPoint or something. Well, not even that. It's probably like videos and all this amazing stuff that our kids get to see. But, you know, being 46 years old back then we had felt boards. That was the iPad. You know, it was felt boards. And so they would tell all these, these um, Old Testament stories about Jonah and Noah's Ark and all these different things. And they had these little people they put on the felt board. And I'd grown up hearing all these stories. But as I grew to be an adult, some of those stories didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. And I, I heard uh, professors like Bart Erdman tell these things about the Bible that, oh, these things can't be true. And, and this is why you can't rely on the Bible. And here's why these, these things, the, these things are false. And, and I had a lot of these different questions coming up in my mind. And, and when I really came to grips with saying, okay, what do I believe? What am I going to believe? I know my parents brought me to church every Sunday, every Sunday night and every Wednesday night. I know that my Sunday school teachers told me great stories on a felt board. I know I've heard all these different things, but there's, there's really one, one foundational piece of Christianity. If it were pulled out, all of it would come crumbling down. And that one piece is right here in my hands. It is the word of God. If this is not true, then we're wasting our time. I'm just going to be honest with you. If this is not true, you got up early this morning, you got ready to come here, you may or may not have had time to get breakfast, and you're sitting here right now. If this is not true, this is a complete and utter waste of time. But I believe this to be God-breathed, the creator of the universe inspired every word that's on every page of this book, this accumulation of 66 books. Now, I didn't, I didn't come to that belief just off of a whim. I didn't come to that belief because of just this amazing faith that God's put into me, although God did put faith into me. I came to that belief and realization after years and years and years of study. There's been so many challenges to the word of God, to the scriptures over the centuries. This is nothing new. The new uh, professors and the new atheists and these new uh, challenges that are coming forth are not new. There is no new argument coming against scriptures today. 
They like to make it sound like it's new. They might color it with a red crayon instead of a blue crayon, but it's still the same old arguments. Nothing new under the sun. In my research, there's, there's really important things we need to know about the Bible. Uh, is it reliable? The, the text that we actually have, these 66 books, is this the closed canon, the actual word of God? Is it accurate historically? Is it, is it, is it, are, do all of the different manuscripts and writings that the scribes did, does it line up? So I just dove into it, just jumped right into it, studied all of the critiques, studied all of the defenses, watched hundreds of debates and different things, and I am fully and totally convinced that what we have in our hands today is, pro- is probably more accurate than the history books that they're doing at Hoover High School right now. We have thousands upon thousands. If you were a textual critic, that would have just blown your mind. We have thousands upon thousands of manuscripts, original manuscripts of the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, And the differences between the thousands and thousands of manuscripts. Now, here's one of the most amazing, miraculous things about Scripture. There is no textual difference as far as what is being said. 66 books written over thousands of years apart from one another by different people. These thousands of manuscripts we have have no differing truth. Mind blown. It is. And these are, you can actually watch the atheists tell you that. They say that out loud and they still don't believe. That's one of the most remarkable things. That they could actually know that to be true. Phenomenal. Now get this. In those 66 books, there's prophecies in the Old Testament that we've actually seen come to pass in our lifetimes. Now beyond that, there's been hundreds of prophecies told from thousands of years ago that have come to pass before our lifetime, and there's still prophecies that will yet come to pass. Remarkable. Unbelievable. I mean, we could go on and on. I could spend all Sunday morning talking about how Scripture is amazingly, supernaturally true. But I encourage you to do that research on your own. All of us should do that research. It's an amazing thing. We value God's Word. We open it every Sunday. We open it in community groups as we gather in people's homes. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, and it brings direction. It brings hope, life, correction, encouragement, edification, exhortation. And here in our text today, Jesus is pointing out the fact that the Sadducees did not believe certain truths in the Bible, one of which is the resurrection, the most, one of the most important one that they were dropping out. This question that they ask is ridiculous. The scenario they present is meant to be sarcastic, maybe even rhetorical in that question of the seven brothers. Now, in heaven, let's get to this. What does marriage look like in heaven? Right? Because Jesus answers that question. What does that look like? Well, we will not marry in heaven. That means there's no contractual unions in heaven. Or we, and we will not be given in marriage. That means we're not going to have any arranged marriages like they had in this time that these questions were being asked. 
Nobody here has been in arranged marriage, have they? It's kind of an old thing. I'm working on it with my son. If he's watching today, no, you know, I'd like to do that. But now, although the core message Jesus is addressing is the wrong belief of the Sadducees about eternal life, they use marriage as the foundation for their argument. And Jesus clarifies it really well. Not only will we live in heaven for all eternity with God, but we will be like the angels in that we will be immortal beings in the presence of God for all eternity. That's really good news, isn't it? We will be in the presence of our creator. No, nothing will will separate us from him. Amazing thing. Many people believe this negates covenants and deep committed love. We have, we have between each other as husbands and wives while we live here on earth. And I truly disagree with that view. Now, in heaven, I'll explain why in just a minute. But in heaven, we will have no pain, no suffering or temptation to sin. We will experience joy, ecstasies far beyond any earthly pleasures. All the pleasures we have been given here on earth are meant to be a foretaste of the things to come. They are meant to point us to heaven. They're meant to be like this phenomenal commercial that has Cheesecake Factory raspberry white chocolate truffle cheesecake being made. And you watch it being put together and then they put it in the oven, they bring it out and then they pour that raspberry sauce on it and your mouth begins to water. And you're like, I got to drive up north just about 45 minutes and get me a piece of that cheesecake. And you drive there. And you get that first bite. Oh, man. Amen and amen. Where's my brother from another mother? He's in here somewhere. All right, Josh, it's me and you, buddy. No, it's, it's, that's, that's what all of these amazing things that God has given us here are meant to be. The love that you have for your children, the love that you have for your spouse, the, the things that you enjoy doing, these are all meant to point us to worship God and get excited about being with him forever. That's the most amazing thing. The churches drop the ball on their teachings about heaven. If we, if we really wrap our minds around this amazing, this amazing eternity with creator God who can never be fully, you know, expounded upon that this eternity we have of getting to know him and growing in knowledge of him and, and fully just diving into all these things. If we could just wrap our mind around, it's, it would be amazing. Now you think cheesecake is good here? Just wait. You think ice cream is amazing? You have no idea. You stand at the base of Niagara Falls and marvel. And it's nothing compared to what awaits us. We look at the stars, the oceans, the canyons, the mountain peaks, and it points us to our creator. And it is meant to excite us for heaven. This stuff that we see, the things that we experience, as beautiful as they are, as amazing as they are, the joys and pleasures that they bring us are nothing in comparison to what heaven has and what awaits us in eternity. John Piper says it this way. I'm going to paraphrase just a little bit. In this present life, every relationship of love, commitment, selflessness, kindness, 
faithfulness and sacrifice will be celebrated for all eternity in tribute to the grace of God and the obedience of his faithful child. There are eternal good effects to all good that we've done down here on earth. In Ephesians 6, 8, every good and beautiful fruit of God's grace in our life will reverberate throughout all eternity. The sweetness and intensity of love between every faithful, God-glorifying married couple will have its echo in the music of heaven. Marriages here that glorify God are not in vain in eternity. We know this. Relationships will be different. Praise God. Can I get an amen on that one too? I mean, not just marriage relationships, but relationships together. We're gonna, it's going to be amazing, the vulnerability and trust. There's, can you imagine not competing for some place or something or someone? Can you imagine not having any temptation to sin? Can you imagine the... There's, I just don't think we can wrap our minds around what this is going to look like. It's going to be amazing. This is where we really need to begin or pursue to expand our understanding or knowledge about heaven. We exist now in the fallen world that overflows with the effects of sin. We are in constant war against the flesh or the old man or old woman that lives in us, pulling and fighting for sinful things. We have an enemy of our souls warring against us as well. Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. We feel the effects of all these things in every area of our life. It creeps into our marriages, families, workplaces, and schools, every, every area of our lives. All of these things will stop, every single one of them. And our relationships will be perfect. Not just our relationship with the Lord, but our relationship with one another. We'll recognize each other. We'll know one another. And all of the baggage will be gone. This is heaven. This is what, this is what awaits us, brothers and sisters in Christ. What a glorious thing. But most of all, beyond all of those things... We'll be in the presence of God. We'll be able to see Jesus face to face. Can you imagine what it would be like to give Jesus a hug? To hold him? To be embraced by him? The one who died for me? The one who loved me so much that he gave his life? Even though he's never seen me face to face in the flesh? Yes, he's known me since before time began. But sitting on this side of eternity, I don't even know what that means. I don't even know what that looks like. Most of all, we'll be in the presence of our creator. No longer separated. No longer feeling distant or confined by time. We will be with God. There will be no disappointment in heaven. Let that sink in for just a minute. Do we have anybody who has expectations for things? Or is it just me? I take expectations into everything. I wish my kids were like this. I thought they were going to work out this way. I bought this puppy and I thought it was going to be like this, but it's poop and pee everywhere. No, we bring expectations into everything that we do, everything that we have. And get this, you can set any expectation you want and know this, you won't be disappointed when you get to heaven. That's the only thing we can say that about. There'll be no disappointments in heaven 
And that includes being disappointed about what our relationships look like or feel like. Anything at all. Everything will be irrevocably better. Jesus said to these Sadducees, you need to know the scriptures. And we know that the scriptures convey these truths about heaven being paradise. And we know there's a mystery in all of this. And I'm thankful for that mystery. We think to ourselves, how can this be? I mean, what does this even look like? And it leads us to the next point that Jesus makes. And it's we need to know the power of God. We say all these things, we study about all these things, and we're like, man, I can't even wrap my mind around that. You know why? Because God is big, period. God is powerful, period. And when we say God is big and God is powerful, I'm not talking about anything that we can compare it to. There's, there's really no comparison. We can study theology, doctrine, history, languages, anthropology, eschatology, eschatology, soteriology, and all the other ologies and fill our minds with knowledge far beyond what most have. But does it lead us to pride or humility? Does what I'm studying, what I'm working on, is it filling me with pride? Is it building my pride or is it bringing me low and building my humility? This is the mistake of the Sadducees. And this is why they were so sad, you see. Oh man, I've been waiting on that joke for like six years. I'm so glad there's three of you that laughed. I, I said it to Andrew in our sermon prep meeting on Thursday morning and he just rolled his eyes. But I am telling you, I've been sitting on that one for years. I just, thank you, thank you, Jesus. I got that out of my system. You see, they had studied the Pentateuch, those first five books of the Bible. They had memorized the law of God. Let's wrap our minds around that one just for a little bit, right? These guys loved God's word. And when I, they, when I say they loved God's word, it's not like you and me. Waking up in the morning, spending 15 minutes in it, you know, or maybe if you're real spiritual, spending an hour every morning in God's word, right? That's not what I'm talking about. These guys lived their entire lives wrapped around the Pentateuch. They studied it every day. They wrote out the entire thing by hand over and over again. They, they didn't just say, oh, I love God's word. They dedicated their lives to it. And then God, the one they've studied, the one they say they love, the one they were working towards and working for, comes to them face to face and they make a mockery of him or try to. All the studying, all the work, all the memorization, all the writing, everything, the doctrinal work, the theological work, the debates, everything, the teachings they had, didn't lead them closer to the Lord. It led them away from him. Because it built their pride, not their humility. They didn't understand the power of God. They had created these beautiful little boxes that they placed God in. This is who God is. This is what God does. This is how God responds right here. Now, don't get me wrong. There are things about God. God never changes God is all-powerful, all-knowing. These are truths we know. But man, when we start studying theology and diving into it and gathering all this knowledge and we start taking truths that we think are truths but 
the Bible's not real clear on and saying, this is truth and say, you better believe this or you're a heretic. When the Bible's not really clear on it, we might get into a little bit of trouble, right? And that's what the Sadducees had done. They built their theology on the pride that they had. They built their theology on their ability to understand and know. They didn't submit to Jesus right when he was there face to face. This was their mistake. This was their mistake. All theological study. Here, this is, I want to put this on the screen for you because I think this is really, really important. Because I know there's many theologians here that study and practice um, studying God's word and learning about him. All theological study has to begin with the greatness of God and end with the worship of God. You hear me, theologians? This is hard for us because we just love, we love the logic of it. But it has to make it from here. It has to make that the most difficult six-inch journey of all humankind, it has to go from here to here. And if our study of God isn't bringing us to our knees in tears and gratefulness and thankfulness for His mercy and grace and power and goodness and kindness and all of these different things, then it's not doing us any good. Theological study is meant to bring us to our knees at the grace of God and the person of Jesus Christ and the power of God throughout all of time and all of eternity. It is meant to break us down and build him up. This greatness is not like the greatness we would attribute to a great race car driver or offensive lineman or running back or point guard. It cannot be like the greatness we attribute to a president, king, or ruler. It shouldn't be like the greatness we accredit to an influencer, a tech entrepreneur, or an inventor. Not at all. God's greatness exceeds all known greatness. So much so, the words we use lack power, description, and understanding. We have used words like amazing, great, phenomenal, exquisite, beautiful to describe things and people. So much so that these words have lost their leverage. When we talk about God, when we study about God, when we think about God, pray to God, or discuss God... We need to be reminded of his incomparable glory, unfathomable holiness. When we say God is great, sadly, our language lacks the deep truths this statement is meant to convey. The Sadducees fell into the trap of theological pride. Theological pride tricks us into thinking we have finished our journey that is never meant to end. Pride convinces us that things are fine while they're actually burning down around us. Pride creates a mirage that we blindly devour. Here's how we can find out if we have theological pride. When we try to make God's word fit my theology as opposed to adjusting my theology to God's word. Who has the final say? What I believe? Or God? What my dad taught me? Or what my heavenly dad teaches me? What my professor taught me? Or what God's word says? 
what our culture tells me and teaches me, or what my culture has brainwashed me to think and believe to be true, or God's word. Last week, we talked about bringing our agenda to God in prayer and how we shouldn't do that, but rather submit to his agenda. And this week, we need to not bring our theological agenda to God, but have our theology submit to him. The Sadducees denied eternal life and tried to make a mockery of Jesus and his teachings with this foolish seven-brother marriage story, and they just made fools of themselves. The truth Jesus is proclaiming here and correcting in the Sadducees' doctrine is this, that we're all going to live forever. We are all going to live forever. The question is, where will you live forever? Where will we live forever? I want you to know this, that God loves you and he wants you to spend eternity forever with him. That's what this entire book is about. It's a story of a God who created humanity, created everything that we see. And it's a story of restoration and redemption of his creation to himself. Now, I talked about heaven, and I talked about this beautiful thing. I talked about knowing God. You may be here today or watching online, and you don't know God. And all of this sounds foreign to you. But you're hearing about heaven for the first time, and you're like, man, that sounds like a pretty good deal. How do I do that? And the answer is this, you don't do that. The Bible teaches us that God sent his only son to do it for us. That Jesus was God's only son and he lived the perfect life that you and I failed to live every day on an hourly basis. He lived that perfect life in thought and deed for 33 years and then his own creation, the men and women that he created and formed in their mother's womb murdered him. He died a sinner's death that you and I were meant to have and deserve. But because of the sacrifice that he made, we don't have to have that. It is by grace, just like all those songs we sang this morning, it is by grace through faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ that we can have relationship with God. That's the good news. You can have eternity in heaven with your creator because of what Jesus has done. Will you surrender to him? Will you give your life to him and trust in him for your eternity? He's inviting you into that relationship. There's nothing you can do to earn it. There's nothing you've done that would make you deserve it. It is a free gift from God through his son, Jesus, applied by the power of his spirit in us. Give your life to Jesus today. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And we thank you that we will live forever with you in eternity. God, I pray that you would blow our minds with what that means. God, give us a deeper understanding of what heaven's going to be like. Give us a deeper understanding of relationship with you and all of the stuff that we've had to deal with on this planet, this this life and these struggles, God, that they will go away and we will be with you one day. God, build our excitement for heaven. Build our excitement to be with you, our, our, our Father in heaven. I pray for those who don't know you that are listening right now online and here in this room with us. God, I pray that you would make yourself real to them. 
that you would change their hearts and their lives for your kingdom and for your glory and for their good. And for those of us who know you and are pursuing you, God, we pray against theological pride. God, we want to know you more, that as we open your word and we study it, as we close it, I pray that every one of us who is doing this would close the, the word with worship and praise because we've gotten to know you better, that we would leave your word on our knees and in tears of joy because you love us and we love you. And it's all because of what you've done in Jesus. Come and have your way, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand as we sing our closing song this morning.